Does anybody like big four-wheel drive trucks? They're pretty cool. I remember being a kid watching the monster truck shows on TV and stuff. They're pretty cool. They're four-wheel drive, gigantic, right, and able to just plow through everything with all kinds of power. What would you say to the person who has one of those giant trucks in their yard, yet they drive through life with a Yugo? Anybody remember Yugos? I saw something on uh, TV the other day. They were talking about the worst cars in the history of the world. And the Yugo, I believe, was number one. But can you imagine the guy who is trying to go off-road, uphill, and he's taking his Yugo when there's a giant four-wheel drive Bigfoot truck sitting in his driveway? Could you imagine? That would be silly, wouldn't it? And he's getting stuck. He's getting out of the car and he's trying to push it and help me, help me. I'm stuck. And you're thinking, dude, there's, you got Bigfoot sitting in your yard. What are you doing? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's just for show. That's just for show. Doesn't it look good? There's no mud on these tires. And you're thinking there's supposed to be mud on those tires. That's the whole point. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. And I think the power of the Holy Spirit is kind of like a Bigfoot truck. God gives us the ability to get through anything he wants us to get through and to get over anything he wants us to get over, right? We're able to grip any kind of terrain that he wants us to grip. But many times, we're just driving the Yugo. Many times, we're going through life with no power, and instead of 600 horsepower, we got like... Six, you know, we got like six little hamsters just on a wheel and God wants us to take our power, right, off-road to accomplish what he wants. Some of us, we hear the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we start to pull back a little bit because we've kind of been in churches where things are sort of weird, but... Don't let somebody's bad driving of their Bigfoot truck keep you from driving your Bigfoot truck. Do you know what I'm saying? There are people that just do things wrong. Some people just can't even drive. I think I saw several today on the way here in the rain. Maybe you did as well. Some people cannot drive anyway. But don't allow their bad driving of their monster truck keep you from doing what God calls you to do. Also... Some people take their four-wheel drive Bigfoot truck and they never take it off-road, right? How many of us have four-wheel drive trucks that we never take off-road? Anybody? They'll buy the brand new SUV, four-wheel drive, never going off-road. Never, ever, ever. That doesn't make any sense, does it? When they do that, it's like taking the power that God gives them and they're using it in the wrong way. They're using the power of the four-wheel drive truck on the street on a nice sunny day and never allowing God to lead them and take them in different directions. So let's not look at other people. Let's just realize God has given us a powerful vehicle and he wants us to go off-road sometimes. He wants us to get dirty sometimes. He wants us to be able to go out and go wherever he leads us so that we can help those in need. So today we're going to be talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
There's confirming signs of speaking in other tongues. And some of us have heard that as well. And we think, oh, what is that? Then let's look at scripture today and let God speak to us. Just to bring some clarity this morning, this is in contrast to the public gift of tongues. God sometimes works through a church service where somebody will be, they'll sense a message from God. Sometimes it's praying in a spiritual language or tongues and they'll feel like God gave them a word to share that service that should be interpreted. Or sometimes God uses prophecy too. Sometimes it's a message that's in our own language, right? That doesn't need to be interpreted. But today we're not talking about any of that. We're not talking about a public gift of tongues and an interpretation. We're not talking about that today. Today, we're talking about when God's spirit comes upon us and we sense him and we respond. And it's a personal, private prayer language that symbolizes God coming upon us. Uh, Who is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a force like Star Wars? Use the force to do what you need to do. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is God, right? He's the Trinity. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always existed. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force that's used by Christians. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit speaks of him. He doesn't speak of himself. But the Holy Spirit is God. Around the year 1900, many Christians began hungering for more of God. As they're reading scripture... They're seeing that God is doing amazing things. They read through the book of Acts. They see that God heals. And they were saying, we never see anybody healed. They see that God pours out the spirit upon people. They're like, we, we never, we never see that. So they began to hunger for God and spending time in prayer and worship saying, God, if this stuff is real in your word, we want to see you do everything you want to do. If it's real, we want to experience you. We want to be all that you've called us to be. Maybe, of course, Bigfoot trucks weren't invented then, but maybe it's kind of like, God, if you have a Bigfoot truck for me, full of power, able to go anywhere you want it to go, show me so I'm not walking around or driving around powerless. And that was their prayer, and they were desiring to see God. Then soon, the Holy Spirit, through their times of of prayer and reading scripture and fasting, the Holy Spirit fell on them. People were in in prayer and they sensed God. And in response to God, they, they were just worshiping. To their surprise, they heard different words coming out of their mouth, a heavenly language. And they sensed God and he knew this was God. Because it wasn't just nonsense. They, they, it, it was God. They sensed it. They knew. And they felt God's power come upon them. And let me tell you what happened. They had to tell somebody that God came upon them with great power. They began to be his witnesses wherever they could go. People would come. Churches were packed out wanting to experience the fresh power of God. Here's why. All those people knew they were powerless in their everyday lives. And they found out God wanted to help them do everything he's called them to do. So today, as of now, people who believe and who have experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, that number of Christians is tremendously large. Only second to Catholic Christians. So if you look at all of what we would call Christianity in the world, Catholicism is still large, right? It's the largest, at least with the statistics that I looked at uh, past few days. 
Next to that is Pentecostalism, people who believe that God's spirit falls in power way more than any other denomination or any other branch of Christianity. It's amazing, isn't it? Within a little over a hundred years. Also, the world's largest missionary organizations and the most successful missionary organizations are those that are Pentecostal, those who have experienced the fullness of God's power. It completely has changed them. It's amazing. There's no comparison. Nobody would deny that at all. Why? Because God's spirit comes upon those who seek him and it has a purpose, a specific purpose. And we're going to look at that today. So you can open up your Bibles to Acts. As we look at the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can open up to Acts chapter 1. You can turn there, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Um, this was right as Jesus was waiting to leave, right? Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth and go back to heaven. So he came to earth, he lived, he died, he rose again, right? Easter morning happened. Then he's spending time with his disciples, training them and teaching them. Then he's getting ready to leave. And he says this, Acts 1, 6. So when the apostles were with him, It says, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So they were saying, God, is it time? Jesus, is it time for you to beat all the bad guys? Don't we basically ask that question when we watch the news? Lord, when are you coming back, right? Everything seems crazy. God, when are you coming back and you're just going to get all the bad guys and and we want to see your glory. We have the same questions. Jesus said this. um, He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Jesus didn't say, I got a great book that explains it called 1-800-such-and-such. Check out the blood moons. um, Multiply it by the number of something or other in the book of Zechariah and then come up with a date, right? No, he didn't say anything like that. He says, You're not to know, right? Don't worry. God's in charge. That's not for you to know. And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says this, there's bad guys in the world. But what what should you do? Right? What do you do? In light of bad guys in the world, he says this, You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In other words, don't worry about the bad guys. Who has the bad guys? Jesus has it under control, right? How many of us worry about the bad guys? How many of us sit around and we spend all of our time talking about how bad the world is, how bad society is, how bad TV is, how bad the shows on Netflix are? Are they bad? Yeah, but how many of us spend all of our time there? Jesus, when are you going to get the bad guys? And he didn't say, okay, I'm going to heaven, but you, you complain. Did he say you complain? No, what did he say? You will receive power to do what? To be my witnesses. Power to witness. You will receive power to be my witnesses. Get out of your Yugo. Right? You're driving through life, beep, 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 listening to your favorite radio station, mad at people. World's going to hell, you're saying, right? Driving along, can't believe these people, right? 
All of us are Southern. What are you doing? And we're driving along, going through life like that, and God, Jesus is like, no, 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 stop. You're going to receive power. I want you to sometimes get off-road. I want you to be my witnesses, and I want you to go where I'm going to send you, and I want you to do what I want you to do. You'll receive power to witness. That's the purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about praying in tongues in church. That's not what it's about. It's about being a witness for God. We need his power to be his witness. We need his power to be his witness. The empowerment or baptism of the Holy Spirit is about God's plan for the world. When his power comes upon us, we do speak in tongues. I'm not saying that we don't, but that's not the point. The point isn't so you can just pray in a prayer language. It's not the point. The point is that God will come upon you so he could send you with power off-road wherever he wants to send you to help change your world. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we do pray in the Spirit. We do get a prayer language, but that's not the point. The point is God gives us that so then we would go. So then we would go. If we only go around other Christians, we're completely missing the point. How many of us would agree that we need God's power to get through life? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is the first day that really the church is born. Jesus left. He says, seek me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. So then they go and pray. And they spend many days just praying and seeking God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, it says, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay, so we're seeing the Holy Spirit show up for the first time and we see they're present, they're worshiping God and all of a sudden at some point we see a few other signs that happen but it says that everybody who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages. Did anybody teach them how to do this? No, God did an awesome thing in their lives and it wasn't weird, it wasn't strange They just began to worship God and to their surprise, they hear something else coming out of their mouths. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability. We see that pattern repeated throughout the book of Acts. We see people in prayer and worship. We see the Holy Spirit come and we see people pray in tongues or pray in a prayer language, pray in a heavenly language. We see that repeated several times in the book of Acts. Here, Acts chapter 2, we also see a few other things. We see a sound of, of of a wind. Well, we don't see that again. We see uh, what appears like tongues of fire. There was a visual component. We never see that again in the book of Acts. But the one sign that we do see repeated is that they were praying in a prayer language. And they were empowered to become his witnesses. What was Peter like before this moment? What was Peter like before this moment? Not too long ago, right, as Jesus was going to the cross... He denied Jesus. 
He was fearful. He was fearful for his life. We can always blame Peter and, oh, Peter, you stink. There you are. You're When you're on the waves with Jesus, right? If you know the story, he's walking on the water. Peter gets distracted and he, and he sinks. And we can think, bad Peter. Well, Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. So we should think, wow, that's pretty good. You know, Peter, Peter got to walk with Jesus. The only other person who could ever walk with Jesus in the water was Peter. And uh, yeah, he started to sink and Jesus saved him. But man, his heart was in the right place. But he had this fear and worry that would keep him from doing everything that God wanted him to do. Fast forward, Jesus is being persecuted. He's arrested. People were beating him. And abusing him, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus even told Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter even knew. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, never going to deny you. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. What did Peter do? He denied him as Jesus was going to the cross. Peter was scared for his life. Again, before we say bad Peter, we need to remember these were guards that killed people all the time. The Roman soldiers were executioners who were excellent at their job. They'd kill people all the time. So Peter's standing there watching his savior arrested and they're beating him. He's probably bloody and crown of thorns on his head and, and, and blood rolling down. And Peter's looking and do you know that man? And Peter's like, no. You have to know that man. I, I, don't, I don't know that man. Finally, somebody's like, I hear your accent, dude. I know you know him. Bible says he even cursed and said, I do not know the man. Why? Because he was scared. He was scared. Who would not be scared, though? Before we say Peter, awful Peter, right? Bad Peter. We need to realize many of us have, have done that. And if we're just honest, many of us have denied Jesus and there wasn't a Roman executioner waiting to watch. We deny Jesus sometimes all the time. At our job, when somebody wants to know why you believe what you believe or why are you different, and we try to hide the fact that we're Christians sometimes. It's hard to be a witness for Jesus. But what we see here with Peter is Peter... There's a change that just happens. Peter was in this room praying, seeking God. God, I want your power. The Holy Spirit fell. They sensed God. They began to pray in other tongues, the Bible says. And look at Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, then Peter stepped forward. Wait a second, what? Peter stepped where? He stepped forward. Well, Peter's always the guy who steps back, right? You've seen all the cartoons and Three Stooges episodes where everybody's on the line and whoever wants to volunteer for the army, step forward and everybody else steps back and the, the, the one guy's stuck, right? Peter would be the guy who steps back two times. And instead here, he steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouts to the crowd. Peter, what? Peter shouts to the crowd. And he begins to preach a spirit-anointed sermon, and he's never even begun to preach before. God's power came upon him, and now Peter has this power to witness that wasn't learned. It's God. 
He steps forward and says, listen carefully, you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about that. He goes on verse 15 for time. I'll, I'll go through it quickly. Verse 15, he's like, these people aren't drunk. It, it's 9 a.m. It's, it's too early for that. They're not drunk. And he says, verse 16, this is what was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So Peter goes on and says, in these last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. And when he pours out his spirit, we see the works of God in great ways, including uh, vocal gifts, including prophesying and And it was predicted by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, verse 21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's just talk quickly. What happened? What happened to Peter? This is what happened to Peter. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter began to pray in an unknown language, worshiping God. And then he received power to preach a fantastic sermon. Read it later. And he's boldly preaching God's word to people who have the ability to kill him too. Why is he doing that? Because the Holy Spirit came upon him and gave him power. And as he's praying in the spirit, he grew in God. Here's why tongues is the thing that we see. If we can trust God to guide our words in an unknown language, then we can trust him to guide our words in our known language. That makes sense now. Learn to trust him to guide us in our unknown language. We could trust him to guide us in our known language. It's not about praying in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about tongues. Tongues are a part of it. It's about your native language. Do you understand? It's about witnessing. It's about witnessing. It's power to witness. I'm not saying we don't pray in tongues. No, 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 no. I've I've said that a thousand times. God gives us a spiritual language, but it's not about that. It's not about somebody else thinking we're a higher standard of Christian because we're not, right? People who are filled with the Holy Spirit aren't better than anybody else. Jesus doesn't love them more. It's nothing like that. But as we learn to listen to God in our unknown language, we take a step of faith, we hear him, and, and we sense him, and, and I'm learning to hear God. I'm learning to follow God. That's what Peter was doing. Then all of a sudden, when there's a question, Peter stands up. God taught him and was guiding his supernatural speech. Now Peter felt God saying, speak. Peter stands up, unlearned, never preached before, just got done denying Jesus stands up and begins to share an awesome sermon, first sermon ever with the new church. The Bible says 3,000 people got saved. If we can trust God to guide us with our spiritual language, we can trust that he'll guide us in our natural language. God wants to pour himself out on us to be his witnesses. The Holy Spirit wants us to know what he wants us to know, say, and do. This is a good quote. It says, biblically, tongues is a prophetic confirmation of a prophetic anointing 
to be a prophetic witness. Tongues is about speaking, but it's about declaring the things of God to people in a way they will understand, right? Tongues are a prophetic confirmation. We sense God. We, it's a sign we know, we feel. But I'm saying when God comes upon you and you respond and you sense his presence and God pours out a spirit and you pray in a real prayer language, it's a prophetic confirmation of a prophetic anointing. Peter just said in Acts 2, right, he points back to Joel. He said, this is Old Testament, guys. This is what God had planned for long ago. This isn't something new. Since Jesus died, since Jesus rose, now instead of just special men being anointed from time to time, everybody can be anointed. And your young men and your old men and your daughters, everybody can be anointed. Why? To be a prophetic witness. Does that make sense? In the Old Testament, it was just Moses, right? Or just guys from time to time. We think of Elijah and Elisha, right? From time to time. Samson, New Testament, God wants us all to declare his glory to everyone. Let's talk about who's it for. Again, we said the baptism of the Spirit is not so we can speak in tongues. It's so you can speak to lost people. It's not about just praying in church. It's about you sitting around the table with your loved ones who you love your family members who are heading towards hell and you don't know the words to say. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. I don't know how to share the perfect word with somebody unless God gives it to me. You're probably with me, right? You don't know. How many of us have said something stupid? (laughs) Right? I mean, Valentine's Day is coming up. How many of us have even said stupid compliments to our spouses and it was like... Wow, you look nice today. Oh, so I didn't look nice yesterday. Right? Do these pants make me look fat? You don't answer that question. When we're, when we're sitting around, when we're sitting around with our loved ones and we don't know what to say, this is what we say. God, give me a word. Right? God wants you and I to be able to hear a word from him, to be able to share with somebody in our known language and have it be the right word from God. So here's the question. Who needs the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Who needs that? I need that. Okay, I need that. Who needs the infilling of the Lord so I can learn to trust him with my spiritual language so I can also then trust him in my natural language. I I need that. We all need that, don't we? Because none of us are that good. We all miss the mark. See, the, the truth is God loves your children and your parents and whoever it is so much that he is sending the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us be more sensitive to hear from him. So we can share a clear gospel message with what God wants. Do you understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very practical? It's not about going to church and somebody screaming and being loud. In fact, most times when people are praying in the Spirit, they're not very loud. It's not about that. If you went to a church and you see something crazy or a televangelist, man, turn those guys off. A lot of guys are weird and creepy. God the Father is not weird. 
God the Son is not weird. God the Holy Spirit is not weird. Praying in tongues, according to Scripture, is not weird. Maybe, it's, maybe we're not used to it. That's understandable. But it makes perfect sense that I need to have a word for my loved ones who I weep for. Right? The loved ones you weep for. God wants you to learn to hear him. And as we learn to follow his leading through our prayer language, we can learn to follow his leading with our natural language. Let's see who this gift is for today. You can flip over if you still got your Bibles open. End of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. It says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. A few things I want to pull out. He says, this is a gift. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift is for you. Anybody who's a Christian, he already says, repent of your sins, be baptized. That means get right with God. Let God clean your heart, right? He takes away our sin. Then what? Then we're ready to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do we have to be really, really, really good for an extended period of time? No, it's a gift. Does that make sense? It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's not about you going on probation for six months to see how you're doing. It's a gift from God, and God will give you that gift. You just have to be right with him and have your sins forgiven. If you're a Christian, you love him, you ask him to forgive you of your sin, then he wants to empower you. The next blank we have is, it's a good gift, and I can trust my heavenly Father. This scripture is from Luke 11, verse 9. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We've heard those verses. What's Jesus talking about? Well, let's continue, same context. Verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. And so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, what? What's it say? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wait, knock and keep knocking, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking. Who who asks, receives, seeks, finds, the door will be open. What's that talking about? In the context of the book of Acts, Luke is saying that's about, it's about other things too. It's about answers to prayer, but also it's about the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Luke is the author of Acts. Luke and Acts are really one book with two volumes. So we see him saying, you can trust your father in heaven. And look at what he says. If you ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Would you give your kids something that would hurt them? If your child wants a toy, do you give them something bad? If they want a Philadelphia Eagles toy, do you give them a Dallas Cowboys one? Come on. Come on. If they want a little puppy, do you give them the meanest, nastiest, most aggressive dog that is known to eat children, right? No, no, you're going to give them a nice little puppy. See, the Spirit of God is a gift from God. It's a good gift, and we can trust our Heavenly Father to give us that. We can trust Him.
we can trust him. He is good. Let me talk quickly. Three steps to receive the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Three steps. The first one is this. Draw near to Jesus. Step one, we need to all draw near to Jesus. What were they doing in the book of Acts and other places in scripture? We see it repeated over and over again. They were worshiping Jesus. Last verse in Luke. Last verse in Luke. Luke and Acts are one book with two different volumes. Last verse in Luke. After Jesus left, it says, they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. They were just praising God. Spending time drawing in. God, I need you. God, I love you. Reading their scripture. You're so good. You can even pray through the scripture, even if you're going through Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you can read that verse and begin to pray. God, I thank you so much that you're the author of creation. I thank you so much that you have everything in your hands. I thank you that you created me and you created my family members, right? And begin to pray, begin to seek God, draw near to him. As we draw near to God, this is the step that you and I initiate. We can decide to do this or not do this. Step two is this. At some point, in the midst of really seeking God, the Holy Spirit will come upon us. Have you ever had that happen? Where maybe you're in a church service, maybe you're home, where you're just praying and you're loving Jesus and you just sense his presence upon you. Have you ever had that happen? If you haven't, Jesus is so good, I'm telling you. He will fill you and flood you with his presence if you allow him to. But as we're worshiping him, then God does his part. His step is the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Who do we worship? Jesus. Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes because Jesus sends him. As we're worshiping, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now listen, you will sense him. You may or may not have like Holy Spirit goosebumps, but there will be a time when you just know that you sense God. How many of us can say we've experienced that before, right? You're in prayer. Okay, here's the third step. Very practical. I yield to the Holy Spirit's prompting. I yield to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Again, Acts 2.4, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak another language as the Spirit enabled them. The third step is cooperative. The first step is us. We decide to draw near to Jesus. God isn't going to make us draw near to him. So what happens is we choose to draw to Jesus. And if we draw to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, then as we're praying, we sense him come upon us. Then step three is where When we sense the Holy Spirit coming upon us, we cooperate with him. And the Spirit gives us the ability to speak, but the person who is talking, you and I, we have control. God comes upon you, but he doesn't force you to speak. In fact, the Bible says you have control the whole time. So when we're praying in the Spirit, it's not we're out of control and we can't control it. It's not that. It's we begin to worship and and God guides our language, but it's literally our air, right? It's us speaking, but God is guiding. We begin to learn to hear God and follow his guiding. But I do want to encourage you to draw closer to him. I think sometimes the thing that has kept many of us 
from being filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered with the evidence of speaking in tongues, has been step three. We quiet up, we turtle up, and we wait for God. And what God wants us to do is we speak, and then he guides. If you've struggled for years, okay, some of us have, I know, some of us have. I want to encourage you, don't get discouraged. And I also want to say sometimes people with different personalities, they just get baptized in the Holy Spirit and it's just easy. Somebody just sings a song and it's exciting. Yeah, for me, I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who doesn't get on a roller coaster unless I can count every pole and figure out structurally what's holding it up. That's me. I think through everything in complete detail where it's it's ridiculous. But that was a barrier. But if that's you, we're still going to pray. We're still going to seek. And if you're not filled today, maybe you want to come back tonight at 6 o'clock and we'll pray. But there's no pressure. Also, I want to say this. Sometimes, for those of us who are quiet, you need to just get alone. Get alone somewhere. Begin these three steps. Draw near to Jesus. When you sense him come upon you, which he will then begin to yield to his prompting.